Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Stay Curious, a podcast where we want to encourage diversity in thought without division and community. We are here live at Influencers Weekend 2020. We didn't know if it was going to happen, but it definitely did. Hopefully, it's a once-in-a-lifetime chance to throw a digital conference during a global pandemic. I don't ever want to be in this position again. Amen. <laughs> but Amen. here we are. I'm Matt Fisher. I'm the care pastor here at Hill City Church. We are recording live at the Life Church, though, where Influencers Weekend is happening, and I'm here with my co-host. We're going to do a real quick check-in because uh, we're on a tight schedule today. We are, yeah. So, John, 1 to 10, how you doing? Uh, 8.2. All right, sounds good. All right. Um, so that you can hear John's voice a little more, I'm going to go ahead and have him also introduce our illustrious guest today. Yeah, so I was um, church politics. If you guys haven't listened to that, you should. Um, I've probably talked about that several times on this podcast, but um, there's co-hosts. We have Michael and Justin. We have Justin with us here um, right now. And um, I was exposed to this. I don't even remember how I even stumbled across your podcast, Justin, but um, now we're, we'll let you kind of share about the book that just released and some of the things that you're doing. Um, but just so happy to have you on here with us and coming from Atlanta, pandemic, doing a conference. Is this the first time you flew since? It's the second time. Second time. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the other time was to the, the D.C. area, I believe. But okay. yeah, it's just the second time. Yeah. Can you give everyone? This isn't the D.C. area. But yeah, it's true. Virginia. We're, it's all the same. It's when, a, you're well, not, when you don't yeah. live here. <laughs> when you don't, it feels all the same. Yeah. But there's a very specific Northern Virginia. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> everybody else, right? I get it. And uh, but so can you give everybody just listening just a you know, some information about where they can find you, like some things you have going on and then we'll start talking about the book, too. But yeah, sure. So as you heard, I'm the uh, president of the and campaign, which is a Christian civic organization. Uh, you can uh, get some of our content at and a n d campaign dot org. That's our website. So we always put in content on there or you can follow us at at a n d campaign. Uh, on Instagram or Twitter. Those are two places to catch up with. Awesome. Now, you're a lawyer, right? Yep. Okay. So what what's like some of your background, like how you got into this place of now writing this book, you know, doing this podcast with Michael. So how did, like, what's part of your story that led you to where you're Yeah. At? So um, I guess I'll start with, you know, when I graduated from law school, went uh, from Nashville to Atlanta, I had a group of friends. We would always come together and talk sports and, and politics. That's all we did was talk, you know, sports and politics. And one day, I just looked around. And I was like, "Man, why are we being so academic about this conversation? Like, we're we're able. There's no reason that we can't really get into the game." And there was a mayoral race coming up in Atlanta, and so we we said, "Okay, let's let's see if we can get into it." Did some research on all the candidates. We actually wrote memos and all that stuff just to say, "Okay, who who looks the best? Who should we help out?" There's a state center that did, just stood heads and tails above the rest. His name was uh, uh, Kasim Reed. And we literally just went, basically went to his office and we're like, hey, how can we help? And it was early on. It was probably like over a year out. Uh, and so we were doing, you know, we were going door to door, just knocking on doors, telling people about him. We were, you know, then it goes all the way to kind of debate prep and all that other stuff. So I tell people, if you want to get in politics, being on a campaign in the city of a candidate, you really you know, support is a great way to to get into politics. You meet the business community, you meet the grassroots community and so many other folks. And that's that's kind of how I got in the game. He ended up winning. 
uh, from there, I ended up I started doing, you know, uh, running campaigns, doing political strategy. And that's kind of the start of uh, my political career. Do people try and get you to run? People do. Yeah, people have. Yeah, people have tried to get me to run uh, even till today. But, yeah. Uh, don't hold your breath. No. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's funny. It really like uh, our friend Alan is running for city council here in town. And it's interesting. The more I get involved in local politics, it kind of reminds I know everything reminds me of music, but uh, like it reminds me of music. It's like one day me and my friends were just like, well, why do you get to be in a band? And I don't get to be in a band. Like I'll start my own band, like running, like doing things in local politics makes you realize that obviously it gets up to, you know, the national level. But if you start if you start small, you can be involved too. I think yeah. that's super important for, and I think your book really highlights that, like the importance of local politics. I think that when we think of local politics, we think of like parks and rec, like it's a funny, this funny, cute little thing that goes on, but it's super, super important. Can you tell me a little bit more about sort of, as you guys were writing this book and just like in your journey, how, as you did kind of go up to the federal level or, or start to see sort of behind that, that bigger curtain, how did you um, continue to like bring it back to the local level and encourage other people to do that? That's a good question. So the, the interesting thing about the folks who wrote the book is we all kind of worked at, at, in different places within politics. You had Michael Ware, who was obviously in a uh, presidential uh, administration. I was working a lot on local and state level. And so I did local and state stuff, but was always paying attention because I was just a student kind of the game to what was going on federally. And then Chris uh, Butler is out in Chicago doing a lot of local and state stuff as well. Uh, and so it was interesting. I think my, you know, when I first really got into federal politics it was probably in heavily in 2012 when I became a, a delegate at the Democratic Democratic National Convention. And so at that point, you're dealing with kind of like uh, the the party platform and all those things and just kind of getting uh, getting to know people all over the country. Uh, for that. And then I, you know, I, well, it probably started a little earlier than that, but I I was also kind of the, um, I was the co-chair in Atlanta of Gen 44, which was Obama's kind of fundraising arm for young professionals. Okay. Uh, so that's really how I got in, started meeting people all over the nation uh, in politics and, and, but always understood the local side of it. I think one of the best things about that first campaign that I ran was getting to know grassroots Atlanta and grassroots leaders. Because I think we can come out of academia and think we know everything, but they very quickly and thankfully taught me that you don't know everything. There's a difference between intellect and political smarts, and there was so much I needed to learn from them, and that's and that's why I've always kind of thought locally. Yeah. Um, I don't, you know, I don't really go to DC and like I want to be like you guys. I go and <laughs> right. say I have a perspective and I'm going to bring that here. Mm. Uh, and, and I just thank my, my mentors in Atlanta who had been in Atlanta politics for, for decades for, for giving me an understanding of that. Yeah. Would, you know, when ever, anyone brings up politics right now, everyone to some degree wants to vomit, like in terms of like the national feel and narrative that, you know, ends up happening and people get so angry and so divisive and, and all of that. And they think everything hinges on who's president. Mm. And, you know, one of the, I don't even remember who first wrote the article I read. It was about a year and a half ago. But it but started, it was the first time I saw someone engage even the topic of abortion. And they said, you know, on a local level, it, it actually matters a lot on how you, you know, go about talking through abortion and some things that can happen yeah. and can override sometimes some things that are on the larger scale. So what were some things that you wish people knew you need to talk about your mentors and everything too but what what do you wish people actually knew the common person who doesn't who's not all in 
on politics and doesn't study it. Like, what are a couple of things you're like, I just wish they knew these two things that would be so impactful for, you know, their own city. Yeah, the one thing would be that if a small group of people, even in a a larger city, you know, let's say, you know, 10 to 12 people, if you went to the city council on a regular basis and got to know those city council people and the mayor's office, you would have a lot of influence yeah. if you did it consistently. Yeah. And people get so frustrated because, as you said, they put everything into this one vote, uh, this one national vote every four years. And there's so that is not the totality mm-hmm. of your public witness. There's so many other things that you can do on a local level to really change and have a more direct impact on your neighbor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we can talk about the school board. What are the kids learning? What what type of resources are they getting? You can have an impact on that. Again, if you took a small group to uh, to to your uh, school board and got to know people, you would have influence because the people that they see all the time, the people that they know are communicating and know are going to be in their face and hold them accountable, they're going to listen to you because they want to stay in office. Uh, but people, you know, we get so focused on the national politics that we don't see what can go on on a local level and how much of an impact you can have if you're willing to be consistent. Yeah, that would require effort. Yeah, well, and I think that's the thing is like it, it it's one of those things where in a lot of ways I feel like the federal um, theater of politics is sort of like a reality show that you can vote in on. Like what were those old – I don't feel like they do it anymore, but you can like text in to Dancing with the Stars, oh, right. you know, yeah, yeah, your yeah. vote or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Whereas in the local, it is effort because if you've ever sat through a city council meeting <laughs> and you don't have a long attention span, it's tough. You know, it's like yeah. we have a I have a friend locally, uh, Ross Catro, who does a thing he calls the boring show. And it's literally just the audio recording of city council. But he posts it so that people can listen to it because mm-hmm. that's super important. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's not easy, but it's accessible. Yeah. So for the people saying, I, I feel like I can't have an impact. You can. Now you got to put in the work, <laughs> but you can do it. Do you think that um, so for somebody who says to you, um, oh, you know, it's all I think there's this pervasive attitude right now that's kind of like a little bit of that post truth, uh, you know, thing that we're dealing with where people are just like, it's all a mess. It's all you know, they just dismiss it all like, oh, it's all who cares? Like everybody's lying. Everybody's a lizard person. Everybody's this, that or the other thing. How? Um, and I'm sure you don't have those conversations very often, but if we set up a straw man, um, how do you like approach that? Do you just say like, well, okay, you can think that, but like, can you trust me that like, I've actually gone through the process and I can assure you that it is not a totally corrupt, (laughs) you know, Illuminati, whatever, whatever, whatever. Yeah. And I think the, one of the good things, even if, you know, that person is not going to trust me, uh, personally, uh, is to just give people examples of how people are being helped. And in our book, we do that. We talk, we don't run away. I never run away from the fact that it's ugly. There's a lot of <laughs> ugly things going on, but there still can be a lot of good done. And for Christians to say, well, this is yucky, this is bad, and I'm not going to touch it. Well, then why would we have any contact with the world in, in any uh, space? Mm-hmm. Um, that's not, we don't avoid things because they're, you know, they need to be disinfected. We disinfect them. Yeah. Uh, and that's what we need to be doing in politics because politics provides too much of an opportunity to help people, to love our neighbor through our social action, that we could not, you know, we'd be poor stewards just to uh, run away from it. Yeah. Often, you know, when I get into conversations like that with people and they'll say, well, we need the government to this or we don't need the government to step in or we don't. And I'm like, you know, the reality is, is because Christians haven't done what they're supposed to do, there needs to be something else that comes into play, right? Like, so 
I, I, relevant magazine, I think it was five years ago, put out if every Christian gave 10%, like the tithe, like world hunger would go away. <laughs> you know, like education, like we'd have all the education that we would ever need. Um, everyone who everyone, ticks Christian on their box. Yeah, like everyone there. would have water. You know, like all these things, like if just like they did, like with seemingly a small thing, right, to, to make a huge impact. And, and the reality is, is that we get in this place because as a whole, Christians aren't engaged. Mm-hmm. And that can be, I mean, we see that as a church, right? Like Christians aren't necessarily engaged as they should, should be even with a church. And so then when you're saying, now go get involved in politics, you got to go down to city council, you got to get, really get involved. It's like, they're not even doing as a, as a whole, that probably feels a little strong, but like as a whole, we mm-hmm. see this, some are doing great work, but as a whole, we do see this problem within Christianity of a lack of involvement. And so then when something's, someone starts talking about social justice or something, and they're like, they're like repelled by it, but it's because they're not connected to their community and they don't actually have compassion and empathy for people because we live individualistic lives. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think getting involved in politics then requires us to, it doesn't matter which, if you're going to vote Republican or Democrat, but it still like requires us to be active and involved, which we don't see. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that one thing, so John was kind of teasing me before we started recording about being a flaming liberal, which is not totally wrong. But um, for me, you know, one thing that's really like been a big part of my journey is trying to find balance, like finding, okay, so I heard about this thing from, you know, some like, uh, vice or mother jones or like some super you know left um and like but i would love to know what the other side is saying about this mm-hmm. for you as you try to like find this equilibrium and encourage other people to find some equilibrium um how do you what's like what's a good follow on uh, twitter's terrible stay off twitter but if i'm gonna be on twitter which i am <laughs> who's a good like who are people on the other side of the quote-unquote aisle from you that you respect or follow or read or or maybe you don't always agree with but you like to hear what they have to say about xyz yeah one of the people i would point out because if you haven't already figured out i'm, I'm a democrat <laughs> been for uh, my entire life is ross douthit uh who writes for the new york times who's conservative but very one of the most intellectually honest uh, folks on regardless of what side you're on that's on and, and very smart. I mean, I wouldn't say he's peerless, but there's very mm-hmm. few people that think on the level that Ross Douthat thinks on. And so I think that would be a really, a really good follow. Uh, David French is also somebody who's more yeah, conservative that yeah. uh, again, I'm looking, I'm not looking to agree with every, you know, everything somebody right. says, I'm looking for you to be intellectually honest and thoughtful right. and willing to think outside of your or, uh, ideological orthodoxy. Right. And that's what we just don't get enough of. Right. Well, I think it humanizes people. It's not about, ag- it's not about like change my mind, which we have this dichotomy in this country of like, everything's an argument, everything's a fight, change my mind or don't, I win, you lose. But I think it's more about, yeah, seeking not to have your mind changed about something, but just humanizing the point of view to think like, well, so many people think this, somebody must have thought through it. <laughs> like there must be a good, you know, um, there must be a good uh, sort of ex- explanation for why this has caught on. And you'll find that there's a lot more common ground than you may think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think on both sides of the aisle, there are people who have an interest in not having um, left-leaning and right-leaning folks have conversations. Hmm. There's a there's a benefit to, hey, let me be the messenger. I'll right. kind of play middleman. 
but I don't really want you two to have to talk because you might actually see that there's some things you agree on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that's one of the things that the AND campaign, especially in the in the Christian community, is trying to break down. Yeah. Don't talk to me, you know, through Fox News. Don't talk to me through MSNBC. Talk to me. Let's have a conversation. Then you might see the character that you've heard is, is actually very wrong. Yeah. That ha- I, you know, it's funny because. I think in in your book, it, it's like 11% of people prescribe to like one extreme or the other. And that becomes truly the narrative that we like. They have the loudest voices too, you know, but in day to day conversations with people, like I just find that so rare, you yeah. know, like, like really the people I end up talking to, it, it feels like predominantly we're like, we do have all this common ground. What do you think? Like what else needs to happen so that narrative can start having a, you know, I, I hear you, I've heard you and Michael even talk about being pro-life, but as you know, Democrats, so like, how do you, how does that narrative begin to push forward rather than the extremes? Yeah. I, I think one of the things that has to happen is we have to frame issues for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, we cannot just accept, you know, we can't allow our political affiliation to become religious in nature. What happens is once we kind of are part of our identity is our political affiliation, then we go with, you know, there's people making decisions, but it's not us. And we very slowly get pulled into more extreme positions than we would have been in in before. But when we have conversations together and we make sure that we frame the issues together, it's a different it's different. And in, in those conversations, when we're talking to one another, we have to be willing to critique our side. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest thing. We don't connect because when we have conversations, everybody's in this posture of self-defense. I have to leave this conversation with my tribe looking like we're faultless. Mm-hmm. Well, nobody's faultless. Enter in that conversation and be willing to say, you know what? I'm going to affirm what I think you get right. And I'm going to admit what we get wrong. If you're unable, and I think we talk about this in the book, if you're unable to name six or so things that your side gets wrong, mm-hmm. then you're indoctrinated, mm-hmm. uh, which means you're not looking critically. You're accepting uh, what's, what's coming from your party uncritically. And a Christian can never be indoctrinated uh, by political parties or ideological tribe. Yeah, that's good. What, um, so obviously this is fresh news, but I wanted to ask you, and we'll pro- I'll probably ask Michael about it too. Um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away last night, or, or you know, we got the news last night that she did. Um, and so for me, I, John, I don't know what your Twitter feed was like, but me, it was like pretty doom and gloom, uh, like very, which I even posted something like, Hey, she would not want you to be doom posting right now. <laughs> um, but from your standpoint of somebody who just like generally knows more about this stuff than John and I, and maybe a lot of our listeners, what is the actual repercussion? Like what is your maybe first or fifth thought, um, when you hear this news that she passed away? Yeah, I mean, I'll say my first thought is, you know, prayers going out to her family. Uh, there's no denying what she did for uh, women's rights and how she p- moved this country forward towards respecting how women should be treated in the wor- workplace and elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was a titan when it comes to those things. The next the next thought I had was I hope everybody doesn't push this too far because it could be bad, but it doesn't have to be as bad yeah. as we can make it. Right. And really wanting some of our really folks in the Senate to be statesmen to yeah. say at this moment, it's not about getting as much as I can for my party. It's about the union. It's about making sure that we can get through this next year and get through uh, November 3rd, right. Mm-hmm. Without everything falling apart. I mean, we, we literally have rioting in the street. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that those were my thoughts. Um, 
you know, I think when it comes to obviously this is a big deal, so I don't want to downplay it. It is a big deal because, you know, this is another seat on the Supreme Court and the, the court is leaning right night right now. It could lean further right. Right. So I understand how people on the uh, on the left are a little worried about that. Uh, I think we can push it just too far. I think one of the, the bright spots uh, when it comes to the Supreme Court lately has been uh, John Roberts, who, you know, um, and he has taken a position that he's he's conservative. But he's been more of, hey, I got to be responsible for the reputation of this court. Yeah. And so it's not about ideology. Mm-hmm. And so I think I, I hope that liberals kind of because I'm kind of in the middle. I'm, I don't want somebody that's extreme. You know, she was probably too far left for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also don't want a court that's completely to the right. Either. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think we, we, you know, just to, um, you know, send out messages to, to, to hopefully get these politicians to be statesmen and to do the right thing because it, it can get ugly, but we don't, ha- and I'm going to talk about this today in part, we don't have to go along with the ugliness and, and the instability that's going on right now. Yeah. Is it a broken system that um, Supreme court justices literally have to work until their dying day? Well, they don't Your have assessment to. as a lawyer, I think. Yeah. I mean, they don't have to, or that they uh, do, I guess right. <laughs> they, they, they choose to, uh, and, and I'm sure they choose to for different reasons. Yeah, I don't know if it has to be a, a lifetime appointment. Um, I think there's a value. I, I think people saw a value in that say, hey, you don't have anything to worry about. Just you're here. Whatever choice you make, you're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's why we don't vote our those folks in. And once they get in, there's nothing you can do about it. Sort of preserves them from having to politic. <laughs> you don't want it to be po- political. Right. Now, there's always going to be some ideological play yeah. in there. But we've seen from Justice Kennedy, again, uh, Chief Justice Roberts, Folks go in there and kind of moderate a little bit or not be exactly what people expected them to be. But in what in many cases, in what is a good way? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't think that's the part of part of the broken system. I think when we talk about how the Senate has been dealing with it, mm-hmm. uh, that has been I think they've they've had a very bad faith and broken response to how to handle these uh, Supreme Court seats. Mm. How do you balance caring? This might be our last question. I don't know. No, we got some time. How do you balance like really so you talk in the book and you've talked today about how Christian as Christians, we need to realize that this is a politics can be a real force for helping our neighbor for doing the things that we're commissioned to do by Jesus. Right. Like love our neighbor, so on and so forth. How do you balance the passion of knowing that um, these issues really matter with um, the idea that the voting is not the end thing that I probably didn't word that question. Well, meaning, so you say I'm, you know, a Democrat or I'm part of the DNC or whatever. And some, again, somebody tweets at you, well, there's a genocide going on. It's called abortion. How can, how could you? So that person on the one hand, you can't fault somebody (laughs) for being so passionate about something. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, um, obviously there's like a balance that needs to be struck. How do you strike that balance between knowing that this is important but also understanding that um, a vote for this candidate is not directly you murdering X amount of children. Does that make sense? Like those extreme, how do you balance like not getting into those extremes in your life? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. I think one by saying I'm a Democrat, but what does exactly does that mean? Okay. It doesn't mean that I'm going to go along with everything the party wants to do. Mm-hmm. It does mean that I'm going to speak against abortion, mm-hmm. right? That I'm I mean, I would think that pro-life people would want, other pro-life people in both parties <laughs> and, yeah, right? so yeah, that you know sure. you have some representation over there. Sure. And if I think someone is too extreme, whether it be on a state level or on a federal level on some issue, 
And guess what? I'm going to vote for the other party. <laughs> right. Like me, I'm not uh, bound, you know, to the party in a way that I'm bound to my religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm there to question it. And I see I just see politics as a tool. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't I, I mean, I see my party as a tool. I don't see it as part of my identity. Um, and, and I think that gives me the ability to say, yeah, you know, abortion is important. I don't think it should be placed into uh, um a vacuum because there are a lot of other issues that play into that one issue. And so we talked about on the church uh, politics uh, podcast being a one dimensional voter. If you want abortion to be your number one issue, I think that's okay. I don't think you should put it into a vacuum because there are so many other things that play into it, whether it's maternal mortality. Why do women feel like this is a good option? Why do they think this is the best option for them? How can we help women in, in crisis pregnancies? But when we just say it's a yes or no uh, when it comes to abortion, we're missing so many other pieces that play into that. And I think uh, although the Democrats do get abortion wrong in many ways, I think some of the other things that surround that issue, they get right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those are the things that I try to focus in on and push back on the party when it comes to that kind of pro-choice policy. Well, yeah, even even the terminology of being pro-life, I think, has got so convoluted. Like, you, you know, right. it's like a, just because you know, you're against abortion, which I mean, I am too. If, if I'm not carrying that concept out of life in, in all ways, right. Like in, and even when you think about, and, and sometimes I get frustrated, you know, even hearing the language with Christians and thinking, you know, you know, scripture would tell us like in James, it would say, Hey, why are you guys trying to essentially kill each other? Right. It's because of selfish desires and quarreling and all this. And I'm like, like we do realize the hatred and the division, the way we talk to each other leads to like devaluing the life of other people. And sometimes I think we get, we miss out on that piece when, and so I love what you guys talk about of having like a bigger picture around the life issue um, because it does become important. And I don't think a lot of people end up like taken in. Yeah. We had a whole campaign called the whole life project where uh, the women in the and campaign came together and say, we want to, again, reframe how Christians are looking at the abortion mm-hmm. issue. Mm-hmm. You know, today when they talk about abortion, it's like either you care about women and women's health or you care about uh, the unborn. Yeah. Right? And we're saying, no, we care about both. Yeah. And we think that's a gospel way to look at it, to say we care about both and we're not going to buy into these false dichotomies that that are provided to us by our political landscape. And so I think that I think our ladies did a wonderful job. We had some really good videos that just help Christians think about this differently. I will never stand here and say that what the Republic, what the Democratic Party is doing on abortion is OK. It's not OK. But the issue is a little more complicated yeah. than I think we make it sometimes. Yeah. What are some other I really liked what you said earlier about, like, <clears throat> if if you get to the point of clarity where you're asking yourself, am I indoctrinated? Then one good exercise is can you name what was it, five or, or six things that you're side quote unquote is doing wrong um so we talked a a little bit about um the abortion issue what are some other things that quote unquote your side is doing wrong or things that you um speak out against or or have quibble with one of the big things that's going on on the more progressive side of politics is just this postmodern idea of there really is no absolute truth and it's a very dangerous place and and one of the things that i say to my brothers and sisters who have kind of gone for that is you know that you can't have social justice without absolute truth. Mm-hmm. You know that if there's no unconditional, timeless standard that applies to everybody, you can't really go to the racist and tell them you have to do justice. Mm-hmm. He says, well, why do I have to do justice? My truth tells me I just need to protect my tribe. Mm-hmm. Right. If you if you really want to make a um, 
a sound case for justice. You need an absolute truth. You need a standard that doesn't change for anybody. You need something that says human dignity is bigger than all the rest of these issues that you have. And so when we push forward this, um, you know, this kind of postmodern idea of everybody has their own truth, we lose a lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's that's one of the things that scares me about what's going on. But also, I think religious liberty, Uh, just not having, you know, in a way, there's kind of we've pushed we've pushed individual expression to where it's sovereign Mm -hmm. and and it overrides everything else. And I've said this before. I think that puts the common good and puts children often in a very vulnerable place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those are two of the things that I always try to talk about when I'm in kind of pro- more progressive spaces, because certainly as Christians, that should speak to the, you know, those things should speak to us. And if we want justice, mm-hmm. then there has to be some foundation for it. It can't just be because you said it, it has to be something that applies to everybody. Yeah. And that individualist, na- individualistic nature is on both sides. Oh, oh yeah. You know, like it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's, Oh yeah. That's you know, like problem, that's like yeah. a really big problem. And it, and obviously that's our culture as a country, you know, and even the the idea of life, liberty and happiness is to some degree get yours. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and so there's that element that really does war against our faith so much. And we don't see enough, honestly, enough Christians speaking like you just did in terms of understanding what truth does lead us to, which, which is tough. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit it on the head. On the left, you have this, what I call, I didn't make this term up, but what's called expressive individualism, where the the individual expression and just being yourself is is sovereign. Then on the other side, you kind of have this rugged individualism, where pull yourself up by your bootstraps, which is completely takes things, takes America out of historical context and all the (laughs) advantages that people have. It just kind of does away with those and say, you're where you are because you didn't work hard enough. Yeah. And it's just not true. And I think both of those are unbiblical and we need to really critique them a little harder. Do you see it all? Um, this might be our last one, but do you, do you see it all any kind of movement where you could foresee? I'm not saying it's another party, but like, you know, people coming together, probably primarily Christian, but could certainly, I think even folks that, aren't Christian per se do echo with some of the things of Christian morality and Christian thought. So do you see at all possibility or any like rumblings of a developing group of people that it might not, it's not this go around. It might not even be next go around, but man, you know, eight years from now we could be seeing a whole other kind of movement. So basically can the exhausted majority kind of <laughs> wrestle wrestle control away from these yeah 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 i think it's possible and i think again i think it can be broader than what uh, the christian what christians do but i think christians really can lead something like that because you know it's they say it's hard to get excited about moderation Mm -hmm. but i think that christians can find something that's not extreme to get excited about i think christians should be excited about justice and seeing justice done for their uh their neighbors i think we can be excited about a moral order that allows people to thrive because we do have a God of order that there is a design as a people that people should follow. And so I think one of the things that the and campaign is trying to do is get people excited about those things, not to be some squishy moderate and find a middle ground on every issue. Sometimes we're not even near the sure. middle ground on certain issues. Yeah. Right. But to say these extremes aren't the only way to do it. And I'll talk about this in my talk to have the moral imagination to rise above the moment. Because since we can't rise above the moment, we can't see uh, past this election. 
we really get caught up and and become enslaved by what's going on right now. And it's so urgent that I can't dare to do something uh, better. I I have to react to what's going on now. I have to fit within this framework. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Justin Gibney, we are not going to take up any more of your time because you also have to give a talk. (laughs) So thank you so much um, for coming on. Um, The book is Compassion and Conviction. Um, it's the Ann Campaign's Guide to Faithful Civic Engagement. You can check out more of Justin's work at um, anncampaign.com or .org. I'm sorry. .org. Uh, .org. <laughs> anncampaign.org. The Church Politics Podcast. And the Church Politics Podcast, which is on uh, all the platforms as far as I know. Tell Alexa to play it right now. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you have questions, quips, quotes, or concerns, you can email them to staycurious at hillcityrva.com. Make sure to rate and review us and share this so more people can get in on the conversation. And until next time, remember, stay curious.